part of our lesson tonight is actually on having a pastor, a portion on a pastor. And when our pastor asked me to speak, I told him that I would pray about it. And he likes to push me in this area much more than I would like to be pushed. And so I prayed about it. And I was praying a couple weeks later. I kind of blew him off. And, yeah, I'll pray about it. I was praying a couple weeks later, and God just suddenly pricked my heart. And it was that still, small voice that goes, basically, if this was not your husband and this was one of your other pastors that you've had in the past, would you have said, I'll pray about it? And I was like, no, I wouldn't have. So the next day I told him, I'll do it. And he's like, do what? (laughs) So anyway, here I am being submissive and obedient. Praise the Lord. Uh, So anyway, we're going to look at the doctrine of separation tonight. I didn't send them a slide, but God has called us to be the church. And you should all have handouts. Does everyone have a handout? All right. If you don't have a handout, you can raise your hand. Sister Diana will get you one. So God has called us to be the church, but what exactly does it mean to be the church? What makes the church different from the world? Something to think about. What makes us different? This is one of the things that we're going to look at tonight. When you look throughout the Bible, God's people were always called out, different, and separated from the rest of the world. Some people view this as a bad thing, but actually... It's a very privileged and wonderful thing to be called out and to be separate and to be set apart for his glory. Each day we make a decision to separate ourselves from sin and to dedicate ourselves unto God. Holiness not only is a process, but more specifically, it is a sanctifying process. It is a day-by-day decision process. In the English dictionary, the word sanctification means to make holy, to set apart as sacred, to consecrate, or to purify, or free from sin. Sanctification has past, present, and future aspects. Our past was sanctified by what Jesus Christ did at Calvary when he died on a cross. Our present sanctification is progressive, and that's what we're going to be focusing on more tonight. Our present sanctification, it's progressive, and it continues for as long as we live. You never just arrive. If you meet someone that just believes they are the epitome of holiness and they are so sanctified, then you should start running away from them very fast because it's those kind of people that have all kinds of bad things growing in their lives because the closer you get to God, I heard the sister Claudette Walker had the most wonderful illustration, and I will never forget her illustration. She talked about how when you're in a dark room and you look in a mirror, you think you look pretty good. Farther you are away from that mirror, you're like, I look great. But the more light that comes on in that room, the more imperfections you see in yourself. And that's how it is in our relationship with God. The closer that we get to that light, the more imperfections that we'll see in ourselves. So if you think that you're in a perfect place, we need to get on our knees and say, God, draw me closer to you. Because it's an ongoing, continual process. We will not be perfect until we are transformed into his image one day. So at any moment, we could walk away from God. And we could walk back into the world. And this is a lesson for people that have already been baptized, that have been filled with God's spirit, and that are wanting to make deeper strides in their relationship with him. That is why we need to continue growing and stepping closer to him each and every day. Our future sanctification will be complete upon the day that we stand in the presence of our Savior in heaven, and not until. John chapter 8, verse 31 says, 
Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue, continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. Some people say things like, once saved, always saved. You can never lose your salvation. Once you believe on Jesus, you're good to go from there. But it's great in theory, but it's just not biblical. When you read of the word of God, it is all about continuing in that process. We have to keep going. We have to keep growing. Holiness is continuing to grow with God. It's continuing that process of obeying, continuing that process of being transformed into his word, into his image through his word. Separated from the world and unto God. There is no point in being separated if it's not to be closer to God. We don't separate ourselves from the world just so that we can be like, yeah, we're so different than them. Our process of separation from the world is unto God. Without going unto God, the process of separation has no purpose. It is to be closer to God. We cannot say yes to everything in life. And just as we live like that, we can't say yes to everything if we're going to continue going closer to God. There are some things that we say no to for the purpose of saying yes to something that God's calling for us. us. So don't ask, what must I do? Instead, we should ask, what may I do in my relationship with God? As you study the Bible, you will find that God has given us three holiness teachers. The holiness teacher number one, and I don't know if there's a PowerPoint. No? Okay. Holiness teacher number one is the Bible. All holiness teaching and understanding must be based on the word of God. Some things are stated clearly, cut and dry, thou shalt not kill, shalt not murder. While others are principles that we have to take from the word of God and apply to our lives. The Bible is not a legalistic rule book. The Bible is a book of principles that are there to protect us and to help us grow. Secondly, a holiness teacher that God gives us is a pastor. God gave us pastors. Like I referenced the story for me, God gave me a pastor. He gave you a pastor. He gave us pastors. And those pastors don't have authority to add or take away from God's word, but they do have authority to implement God's word in a way that they feel will protect you and set boundaries for a church to maintain separation and purity. I think pastors referenced it before, but the story of Moses in Mount Sinai, God told him that the people should not touch it. But it was up to Moses to implement exactly where that line that they should not cross would be. And once Moses set that line, God honored it. And that's a scary thing for a pastor too. So pray for your pastor. Because that's a scary thing to say, God, where do you want me to draw this line for this group of people? And it's also a scary thing for us because we have to abide by that line that God has given us through our pastor. Because God honors that. He honors that line. That, he, that the pastor has given authority to draw for us. So the third holiness teacher that God gives us is the Holy Spirit. And how many of us have ever been in a situation where we just sat there and we're going, I don't know, something in my, something just doesn't seem right, something doesn't feel right. And that's the Spirit of God working in us saying something about the situation. You may not even be able to understand or know, but God's spirit is telling us something about that situation is not clean or safe or right for us to be in. And so that's the internal prompting of the spirit. Sometimes you're going to be in a spot and it's going to call for a decision. And we don't know 
in our natural humanity. We can't call our pastor. We might not have access to the word of God at that moment. We need to make a decision. And the spirit of God inside of us helps lead us in those decisions. It's a holiness teacher. And I am thankful for the spirit of God in every moment. Um, Sometimes it may just be a very tangible sense of uneasiness. We must learn to listen very closely to that voice. Remember, though, the Holy Spirit will never go against the principles of God's word, nor will it incite a rebellion against your God-given leader. So if something you feel like the Spirit of God is saying to you doesn't line up with the word of God, it's not the Spirit of God talking to you. (laughs) And if something that you feel God is speaking to you doesn't line up with your pastor, it's probably not the Spirit of God speaking to you either. So you can judge the word of God that you feel and you hear in the Spirit of God leading you by his actual word and by the pastor that he's given you. So God's goal for us is to fill us with his spirit and to have our lives reflect him to others. Just like when you pull weeds away from a stalk of corn, it doesn't mean, man, this, this corn is perfect now. It's clean. It has no weeds around it. It has nothing in it. No, the pulling of the weeds is simply to help that pe- corn grow in an unhindered and more natural way. It doesn't mean that it's reached fruition. It doesn't mean that it's perfect. And sometimes as Christians, when we pull things out of our lives, we'll look at ourselves and go, man, I'm looking good now. I'm ready. I mean, I'm here. I have arrived. But God is just pulling those things out so that we can grow more, so that we can grow deeper, not because we've suddenly just reached this epitome of perfection. When you eliminate evil from your heart, and try to separate from the sin of the world, it simply means that the hindrances are being purged so that spiritual growth is easy and it's natural. And before we get into any specifics in this series, which I'm not touching tonight, Pastor will be touching in a few weeks, but we're laying the groundwork for what's called the doctrine of separation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17 say, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, for this reason, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But ye, everyone say me, I am a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That, so for this reason, that I should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Being called out for that purpose. When you think about royalty, many images probably come to your mind. I just saw an article on MSN or whatever the other day, and it's, you know, the Duchess Kate. Everyone's so enthralled with Duchess Kate and Prince William. They're doing their Canadian tour. And anyway, it was talking about how expensive her clothes were. And her outfit for her first day off the plane was, I don't even remember, somewhere like $26,000 between her hat and her dress and her shoes. And I read an article once that was talking about the budget that the royalty has for their clothing because their clothing speaks to the entire world that they are different than you and I. And just even think about the implications of that. Their purpose in their clothing is to tell everybody else that I am royal. 
thought that was interesting. But anyway, you think about royalty. God called us to be a royal priesthood. And when we think about royalty, we think of lives of great privilege, of great wealth of fame. We think of all the servants that must be waiting to minister to them and to attend to every need. We wouldn't expect them to live just like we do because after all, they're royalty and everyone recognizes that. But yet God called us to be a royal priesthood. Say, I am royalty. Of all the people in this world, when you really think about it, and this always brings me to tears, but of all, this people, of all the people in this world, God has extended his grace and his mercy to you and to me. That opportunity and that chance, we were called by him. We responded to him. And now, literally, his royal blood flows through our veins. My grandma used to sing that song because she had been anemic at one point in her life. And her, grand, her dad had been a pastor and he just didn't believe that they should go to doctors. And so she got really anemic to the point of death. And she had some people that prayed for her, and God completely healed her in one moment. She used to always sing, I literally have his royal blood in my veins. He filled me with his royal blood. But we have been, when we have taken on his name, when we've been buried with him in baptism, that blood, that royal blood is literally in us. We're not only married to royalty, like Princess Kate, although technically we are married to royalty as well as the bride of Christ, but his blood is literally in us. It's a powerful thought when you think about it. But when it comes to the Christian life, the father of lies wants to tell us that we are nothing special and that we should behave, dress, act, and talk just like any other individual. He hates that separation. He hates that understanding that we are a royal priesthood. And let me tell you something. If it's something that the devil hates and strongly opposes, it's something that God loves. Because an understanding of who we are and the power that we have means that we also have an understanding of who he really is and what he is not. There's a scripture that talks about how one day the world is going to look on the devil narrowly and understand. Really? That's it? That's what made the earth tremble, really? And as the children of God, we have that understanding. The New Testament Greek word ecclesia, translated church, means to summon forth, to show the church as the called out or the separated assembly. The church is called out not in a restricted sense, but rather we position ourselves to be blessed and to receive the promises of God by coming out of the world system. We are called out to position ourselves to be blessed. Somebody may think separation and holiness preaching is old-fashioned. And if that's your thought today, I want to assure you, you are 100% correct. Separation may be the oldest doctrine of the Bible. It started in the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis. The message of separation began when God called Terah, the father of Abraham, out of the Ur of Chaldees. God wanted Terah to separate himself, not because he wanted Terah to move away from his family and he wanted him to be different and he wanted him to suffer and to feel awed, but God called him out of the conveniences of the world system that he lived in for one purpose, and that was God called him out so that he might bless him and smile upon him and bestow favor to him and make him a nation. 
Terah went halfway. He went to Haran, and he died there. But Abraham, his son, received the same call his father received and set out to answer that call in the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. Even though it is definitely an old-fashioned doctrine, let's understand that it is as relevant today as it was for them in the Old Testament. God has always desired a called-out, set-apart, royal people upon which to pour out his favor. Separation from the world is as relevant to the church of the living God in this day as it was to the father of the faithful. Abraham could have chosen not to follow God in faith. He could have chosen to not do some of the things that God asked of him. God gives us that choice. He gives you and I that choice still today. We have an opportunity. We can decide every day whether or not we're going to choose to follow him, whether or not we're going to choose to do what he asks of us. But why would Tara have chosen that? Because it was convenient? Because he really didn't want to leave the place that he knew and understood? But had he done that, he would have chosen to miss out on certain blessings and promises. He would have missed out. His son Abraham would have missed out on becoming the father of the faithful. So I must ask everyone here this same question. Why would we choose to miss out on certain blessings and promises that God has for us? Really think about it. Take a moment to think about it. What would cause me to miss out on the things that God has for me? True holiness and a desire to draw closer to God and his plan will always require sacrifice on our part and a little bit of uncomfortableness. But it will always reward us with access to the king. See, as surely as God blessed Abraham, he intends to bless his church. He did not call us out of the world and make us separate and distinct people merely because he finds pleasure in us being odd to the world. We are called out so that God can pour his blessing and favor upon us as his people. Moses was given instruction on Mount Sinai that were then passed along to the nation of Israel. These instructions were not intended to be burdensome requirements or regulations. Instead, they positioned Israel to receive the multitude of God's blessings. So you have to understand, when God called his children out of Egypt, they had been slaves for 430 years. Their entire mindset was so messed up from being slavery. So they go from being slaves to suddenly being these, I mean, they knew they were, but they, they didn't have an understanding truly of who they were. So they go from slaves to being the children of God who is about to go show himself to the world through his people. They didn't know how to be a people. They weren't civilized. They were used to people just telling them what to do. So it was necessary for God to bring them to Mount Sinai to receive instruction. And this instruction affected every part of their life. They learned how to eat and they learned what to eat. They learned how to dress, what to wear, and what not to wear. Why? Because they had been taught and they had been influenced by a pagan culture for 430 years. If their current way of living had been acceptable to God, he wouldn't have wasted time addressing this. But it wasn't. And it's the same way that we often find ourselves when someone comes out of a world system and they sit in a pew. They, they don't know what's pleasing to God and what's not pleasing to God. And so our responsibility is to help them to grow in that holiness and to grow in their understanding of you are no longer a slave. You are no longer in that life of sin. You are a child of the king. You are royalty. These are the things that we get to do to position ourselves to be blessed. 
So God wanted to fulfill the promise to Abraham, and he could not fulfill that promise when their identity was lost among the people of Egypt. He called them to be different. He wanted his people to look, act, and live differently than the rest of the sinful world because they were special to him, and he was about to show every other nation that these were his chosen people. The way that they looked identified them to every nation that they went, they came in contact with. Everyone that saw them knew that these were God's people. The Jews in that time, they had ringlets that would go down through their ears. Like, yeah, it looked different than every other nation around them. The way that they dressed was different than every other nation. The moment someone saw them, they identified, those are those people. Those are those people of God. The Jews are an excellent example of a people that have remained separate separate for God. They are the only ancient race of people to survive with a unique identity, culture, and religion. Even though they were without a homeland for almost 1,900 years, they were immersed in different cultures, and yet they managed to maintain their identity. We must remember that after they were destroyed and cast to the four corners of the earth in 70 AD, they did not again become a nation until May 15, 1948, making them the only nation in history to ever be born again. The reason that they were able to maintain their identity, culture, and religion is because God's commandment and regulations kept them separate. And throughout history... Everyone has hated them. Kiera has been watching a cartoon about Corey Tenboom, and she's so encaptured by it. Like she watches it every, uh, almost every morning right now. It's her thing. Corey Tenboom, for those of you that don't know, is the story of a, I think she was Polish lady during World War II, and her and her family did not believe that what they were doing to the Jews was right. And so they hid Jews in their home and ultimately ended up in a concentration camp. And I believe every member of her family died except for her. And you can watch videos of Corey Ten Boom online, I believe, and she was older, and she tells the story of being in the concentration camp with the Jews, of hiding them, of trusting God, and of thanking God. Literally, that's one of the parts in this cartoon where her and her sister are in this place, and it's the only place to sleep, and there's, it's infested with fleas. And so they're just itching, 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 and her sister is telling her how we should thank God for these fleas. And so they're in there thanking God for these fleas, just this attitude that they had that was so beautiful. And uh, so she's watching her, and she goes, Mommy, did that really happen? I said, Yeah, honey, it really did. Why? Why did that happen? And psychologists and so many people have, are still trying to wrap their minds around truly what went on in the minds of these people that were just, you all deserve to die, was their thought. You all deserve to die. Because they were separate, because they were different, because something about them was so disgusting to the Hitler-type group of people. Anyway, such an interesting thing. But... Um, God's people, they were different. They stood out. They were separate. Just like this, the only way the church will survive is to maintain a separate distinction from the world. This distinction is all-encompassing because we are royalty. There's a lady that I know from the community, and I've been friends with her for a while now, and she said, and we've talked about God quite a bit, 
And she said, the first time that I saw you, she said, I just knew there was something different about you. She said, I didn't know what, but I just knew there is something different about her. I need to get to know her. And that has as much to do with internal holiness as it does external holiness. It involves every part. But our lives should be, when people see us, they should think, there is something about that person. I can't even put my finger on it, but something about them is different. Many today in Christianity want us to believe that separation is no longer a relevant message. They have believed the subtle serpent who is beguiling with his, hath God really said that message? It's the same question. Since the Garden of Eden, the devil keeps asking the same question. You'd think he'd get a new one, really, but I guess it works. So there he goes. Does God, you think God really means that? Did God really say that? Just that subtle whisper saying, do you think God really cares? God really cares about that. Yet, God has called us to be royal, to be a, and there's privilege that goes with that. But he leaves that choice up to you and me. The doctrine of separation is still to be taught, experienced, and believed, just like it has been since the beginning of time. Our enemy's intent is to spread the mistaken idea that disciplines and holiness will cause the gospel to be less attractive. It troubles me when I hear people talk about our doctrine, and they're referring only to our belief and convictions on new birth, the revelation of the oneness of God, and our Acts 2.38 experience. They call that our doctrine, and then over here we have our lifestyle standards. If I preach Acts 2.38, if we speak Acts 2.38 till it is coming out of our ears, but we don't preach separation from the world, we have not intended what God intends for us. We must understand that holiness and separation directly impact our relationship with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17 say, And what agreement hath the temple of God? We read it earlier, with idols. You are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. For this reason, wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. The very next verse goes on to say, And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. He did not say, When you are baptized and when you receive the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, then I receive you. God said, When you come out and when you're separate, then I become your father, and then you become my sons and daughters. So the next time someone says, I know that they're straight on, on doctrine, but do they believe in holiness? Correct them and tell them, Holiness and separation is doctrine. It's from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelations. This is doctrine. And if you are under the impression that holiness is just outward appearance or what many called standards, then that's a serious mistake. Holiness, when we talk about holiness, it is easy to emphasize rules and regulations and do's and don'ts, but that should never be the case. In our Christian walk and pursuit for holiness, we are not merely trying to not do wrong, but our true goal is to bear fruit and to please God. It is not about what I don't do. It's about what I choose to do. When I choose, for instance, if I choose to think on whatsoever things are pure, on whatsoever things are good, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, I have made a choice to not harbor unforgiveness and bitterness because I can't harbor those things and think on everything that's good and pure and lovely, and if there's virtue and praise. When I make a choice to think on whatsoever things are good and pure, 
I'm making a choice not to put things in front of my eyes that are not good and pure and lovely, like Pastor talked about in the lesson on entertainment. If I'm only watching things that are good and pure and worthy and listening to things that are only good and pure and worthy, it's not that I'm, I don't, the church says don't do this. No, God says do this, and I can't do both. So I choose to do what God says to do. I, if I choose to think on only things that are good and pure and holy, then I have made a choice not to gossip. Because if you all want to gossip about me all day long, saying all these wonderful, good, and pure, and holy, and lovely, and whatsoever things are righteous, if you want to say those things all day long, that is wonderful. You can talk about me all day like that. But when we choose to talk and think and act in that way, we choose not to gossip. We choose not to harbor unforgiveness. We choose not to have those things in our spirit. So it's not saying, well, you shouldn't do this. Rather, we should choose what God has told us to do. You must understand, again, that when I teach and speak on specifics of attitude, or when Pastor does, when he's, these are his notes, obviously. I did, I did mess with him a little bit, but I didn't get all the nouns out that involve him. Um, but when, I, when he speaks and teach on specifics of attitude, thoughts, appearance, modesty, no one is saying that these things are what bring salvation to your life. The Bible makes it clear over and over again that we are saved by grace through faith. We do not follow or pursue holiness in order to earn our salvation. We are pursuing holiness because we are pursuing God. And God is holy. Because we love God, because we trust his word, and we're in a pursuit of a deeper relationship with him. I don't pursue holiness so that I can go, oh, yes, I have made it now. Look at I am perfect on the inside and outside. Like I say, when you meet those people, run, run, run. They are scary. But we pursue holiness because we're in pursuit of our Savior. We live holy lives because we're royalty. Our distinction gives us a path into the presence of the king. Other people, they long for that. Other organizations even that don't have a true understanding of holiness, they interact with people that believe like we do. And they just are in awe of the way that we can get into the presence of God so quickly, so easily. The spirit of God that flows through our services. Brother Bernard, a couple years ago at General Conference, read a letter that was from, I believe, the superintendent of the Assemblies of God. I could be wrong on that. It was a major organization, though, that talked about how they used to have lives of holiness, and they have no longer have them. And he came to one of our conferences, and he wrote a whole letter about it how the way that it felt, felt like our services used to feel. The way that the people worshipped was like our people used to worship. But that distinction and that presence was lost. And he was begging, imploring the, our organization to not lose that, to make sure that we maintain it, to make sure that we keep it, because they had and they didn't know how to get it back. When we have faith and we are walking with God, it will cause an outward manifestation in our lives. This is always the way that God's word has been. Since the Old Testament times, the pillar of fire above the tabernacle was an outward, visible manifestation of his power that was within. When God filled the church with his spirit in the book of Acts, there were cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. And again, we saw an outward manifestation of the spirit that was now within. He still chooses outward and visible signs to set his people apart and to show the power that is within them. True holiness involves cleaning of both inside and outside. 
The Oneness Pentecostal Movement is the only organization in the world who teaches and believes that our outside is as relevant and important part of holiness. I say not just the UPC, but the Oneness Pentecostal Movement. There are more than just the UPC that believe that, um, but not people that are not who believe in the manifestation of God through Jesus Christ, the oneness of who he is in Pentecostal. And we are right for teaching and believing that. It is biblical, and God has these principles in his word to protect us. Holiness is really becoming more like Christ in every single way. In addition to any outward visible signs, holiness, true holiness includes so much more. The fruit of the Spirit, love one for another, forgiveness, refusing to slander or gossip, pride, lying, murder, stealing, the tongue. Everyone could, we could all just wish that was one of my prayers in my prayer binder I came across it today God help me to guard my tongue help me to guard the words that I speak and I know that we all have that same feeling in our lives so hard to control yet it is such a part of our holiness so when we get into what the Bible says about certain issues of external appearance don't misunderstand and say that that's the only thing that is important to holiness because it's not I've met a whole lot of people that looked absolutely perfect on the outside and who inwardly did not reflect Christ. And I've met some people who don't have a revelation of outward holiness and whose hearts are pure before God. So we need to have holiness in every part of our life. So when we get into what the Bible says about certain issues, um, don't allow someone else's lack of true holiness to lie to you about how God values our true separation and holiness unto him. I tell you today that pursuing every Every outward and inward faucet of holiness is what brings revival. Where holiness in lifestyle, thought, deed, and behavior is preached in practice, there is a spiritual climate that cannot be attained any other way. People want to be in a spiritual climate. It attracts them. They want to come out, and they want to be a part of it. If we are just like the world, there is nothing for them to be a part of. They could just go take a walk down their neighborhood. What's different? What about us is different? What kind of a spiritual experience will they have here that they cannot obtain anywhere else? They want access to the king. We have access to the king. They don't know how to get there. We have a pathway to show them. They don't want a church that is just like every other church in the city. You know, it's always amazing to me because the more people that you have in an area that practice and live true holiness. It's like the more tangible presence of God that you can feel. Um, there's often times when I'll go to some type of a minister's function, and the spirit of God that enters a hotel room within the first five seconds always amazes me. I'm just like, <laughs> arms up, tears crying, because there's such a strong power and presence of God because you have an entire room filled with people whose whole lives are about Jesus Christ, whose whole lives are about living in separation unto him. And no, everyone's not perfect in there either. But of course they're not. They're not perfect anywhere else. But they're doing their best. They're doing their best to walk in holiness. And God is drawn to that. God is drawn to people that are doing the best that they can to live lives of holiness inwardly and outwardly. So if someone comes to our church and doesn't understand these things and has not yet followed the plan that God has for their salvation, 
then we don't belong pushing them into any other forms of holiness. If we start trying to change the way someone dresses, the way someone looks, the places that they go, the activities that they're involved in, the way that they talk, the things that they watch, before they understand that they can be freed from sin, forgiven, baptized, filled with God's spirit, we will fail miserably. They don't have royal blood yet. They don't have that access to the presence of the king yet. Why would we expect them to act, talk, and behave like we do? We should never push or try to force someone to change. Even if you could force someone, it would not be effective because God sees their heart. The only lasting change that will happen in someone's life is when they do it out of love. Say love. Love for God and a desire to please him. Consecration unto God and holiness itself is a growth process. Don't worry too much about your outward appearance if you haven't even experienced what God has for you inwardly. He wants to forgive you, wash away your sins, fill you with his spirit. If you are filled with the spirit of God, you may start feeling to have feelings that you've never had before. When someone first comes, you know, I, I, it always makes me laugh when someone gets in the presence of God and suddenly they realize that they don't have enough clothes on. And I've seen it happen so many times where somebody comes in with not much on, they come to church and everyone's just worshiping, no one says a word to them and suddenly they're like, I need, I need, I need like blanket or something. They want to cover their shoulders. They want to cover something because they're in the presence of God and being exposed to the presence of God, they suddenly realize I'm not wearing enough. That's not somebody telling them that. That is the spirit of God saying, hey, drawing you a little closer. So when someone's filled with the spirit of God, they might start having feelings when they go certain places saying, hey, I don't, I don't think I belong here. Even now, we may have those feelings where we're going, eh, something about the situation. I'm not comfortable. I shouldn't be watching this. I might not, it might not be a good idea to wear this. Maybe I should change the way that I talk. These things are not rules of the church. It's not the church going, you need to talk different. You need to look different. It's a response of our love for God. It's God's spirit working in us to convict us about how certain things that are, are things that he doesn't want in our life anymore. But know this. God does not condemn us. He reproves and convicts us. God does not tell us that because of our actions, we are worthless. And that's the feeling that the enemy will give you. You are such a loser. You can't do anything right. You don't even know how to, you don't even know how to dress. You don't even know how to talk. You don't even know how to do anything. God tells us that we are worth more than the way that we are acting the way that we are behaving, the way that we are talking. He tells us to come up higher because he believes in us more. He loves us to that next level. He doesn't push us down and condemn us. He pulls us up. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 say, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation. To them, Some people will take this verse and be, ah, that means there is perfect freedom. God never wants anything from us. There is no condemnation. We just live lives that are, whoo, after we, you know, come to him. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying there's not condemnation. There's not that feeling of worthlessness and that you are unworthy and that you can never do it right. Condemnation brings a feeling of confusion, of frustration, hopelessness, and a feeling of self-hatred. It tells us we are wrong. We will never be good enough. We will never have it right. Condemnation makes us feel discouraged and depressed. Conviction, on the other hand, is God lovingly tell us, if you love me, 
please change this. Conviction focuses on God, our love for him, and a desire to be the person he wants us to be. Condemnation focuses on me, my efforts, my failures, everything to do with me. In and of itself, it's easy to identify. Everything that the devil is about, the pride of life, all of the things, it's all about me. Me, 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 me. All about me. But God, God's conviction is a focus on him. Here's another thing to remember. Holiness is balanced. Consistency and balance are basic principles of scriptural holiness. Never is it too heavy on some things and light on others. To rigidly enforce dress codes and lack of patience and kindness makes a person warped, out of proportion, and usually causes bitterness. On the flip side, to say that all we need to do is love God, and it doesn't matter how we look, what we say, what we think, or how we act, that's going to mess people up too. <laughs> I uh, had this lady that I, I wouldn't say I was friends, I was acquaintances with. She knew I was a pastor's wife. And uh, one day, she's, we're doing something together, and she swears. And she goes, oh, don't mind me. I love Jesus. I just swear a little. <laughs> and I'm like, Okay. Well, then, I didn't, you know, think much of it. Then uh, I see, I was out and about in West Bottoms, and there was literally a T-shirt that said, Don't mind me. I love Jesus. I just drink a lot of beer. And I'm like, oh, it made me so annoyed. And Kiara goes, Mommy, what's beer? (laughs) Never mind. No, I told her, alcoholic beverage, honey, that makes you not think normal. We don't drink it. It's not okay to wear that t-shirt either. So, uh, we must not only preach and practice right doctrine, we must do it with the right spirit. You know, you can say something that's right, and if it's not said in the right way, you didn't accomplish anything. To, we must not only preach and said that. Holiness is not extreme, and it's not fanatical. It is not unreasonable. Holiness, I've heard it defined by some, as moderation. Holiness in and of itself is a moderate thing. It is not a thing that says, hey, look at me. Look at me jumping up and down. Draw attention to me because that's pride. Holiness is a moderate thing. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is balanced. Holiness is reasonable. It is a reasonable service. Why? Because Jesus was the most balanced man in history. Jesus, we talk about this in the personality series, which we may be doing again in the near future, but Jesus was a perfect blend of all four personalities. One of the things in holiness that God has been working on me with is an understanding of my personality and the lacks and the limitations of my personality. Um, I am not. I have two dominant personalities, and I, I don't have any phlegmatic, and I don't have any melancholy. And people that have those personalities, I have a very, very hard time with on a regular basis. Like, why? Why are you sensitive to life? I don't understand. I just, I don't. I don't understand. And I'm really, really trying 
But that's a part of my personality that God has to work on. And that's something that he has been bringing to my attention more and more, saying, just pricking my heart. Like I said, holiness is a continual process. Pricking my heart and saying, you could work on that. You really could work on that. But Jesus was a perfect blend of the outgoing sanguine, of the powerful cleric, of the thoughtful melancholy, and of the loyal and faithful phlegmatic personality. He was a perfect blend of all of those. After his ordinary Jewish schooling, he learned and practiced the trade of carpentry until beginning his ministry at the age of 30. He was fully aware of the current events of his day, including the system of governmental regulations and taxes, agriculture, farming, shepherding, fishing, weather, cooking. And until you are as holy as Jesus Christ and as balanced as he was, remember, you still have some room for growth. I still have some room for growth. Always remember this. Whatever God asks of us, whatever he asks us to do, he does it because it's the best for us. Not because he's just demanding and unreasonable. Because he knows what is best in our lives. I often think of how blessed I am that I lived a life of holiness as a young person because I have friends that did not live those lives. And when I look at the wonderful life that God has blessed me with, and I contrast with the life of doing things outside of God's plan. It's humbling. It truly is. When you see, yes, you could have said, God is just so mean. He doesn't want you to do all of these things outside of marriage, and he's just awful. And yet you see the results of living within his plans and with living outside of his plans. His way is always easier, and it's always better. Whatever God asks us of us to do, it's always the best thing for us. It's not meant to be a burden. It's not meant to be drudgery. It is meant to perfect us, to protect us, and to make us better. It is there because we are a royal priesthood. Wouldn't you want to remove the roadblocks that could potentially keep you from growing with God? I know that I would. In closing, you will never hear pastor plead with you on various issues of holiness. He will not give you some kind of rule book and say, Refuge Church, this is what we do. You do everything on this list, and that's it. He cannot manufacture holiness in your life. The only person that can control how close you get to God is you. It's been often said, you can have as much or as little of God as you want, and you make that decision every day. We cannot manufacture our own holiness It is not a checklist of, I did that, I did that, I didn't do that. It is a process of growing towards our Savior. It is a desire to continue to grow with God, know him more, and us being willing to change or remove anything that may hinder us from that growth. When we first came here, there were things that I did that I am not comfortable doing anymore. And... Thankfully, there were people that were loving here that were just, just loved me through every process. And I was the leader. I was the pastor's wife. And I didn't always, I didn't have conviction in certain things that I have conviction in now. God draws us. He changes us. Sister Waller, to me, is such a beautiful example of this. And she's not here, so I'll talk about her. She has convictions that many of you do not even, I mean, deep, deep convictions on things. And yet you can be in her presence, so to speak, 
And she just loves every person around her. You would never know. You would never know that she doesn't agree with that. She loves, loves, loves people, and yet she holds these convictions. And there's often been times that I would interact with her that I leave, and I'm just like, man, she makes me want to be a holier person just by being around her. And that's how we should be as Christians, not condemning to people, but such a silent source of conviction that other people, when they interact with us, they go, man, I want to be more like them. I should have deeper convictions. I should change my lifestyle, not because they are preaching at me and yelling, but because their own life made some conviction come into mine. Holiness is a desire to continue to grow with God. At Refuge, you will be lovingly taught what the Bible has to say about various issues. And I will be honest, in the next few weeks, Pastor's going to talk about some issues that people will consider touchy. They're touchy subjects. Why? Because we like to do things our own way. We like, we like to live our life the way we want to live our life. And, you know, if God's word says something different, well, does it really say that? Does that really mean that? I'll tell you, and I'm not going to have a chance to address some of the things that we're going to talk about, even in regards to ladies. But I always say, if I got to heaven and God looked at me and said, Jackie, you didn't have to do any of those things. You know, you could, have, you could have lived your life a whole lot different. You didn't have to dress that way. You didn't have to act that way. You didn't have to have your hair the same way every day of your life. <laughs> you know, if he gets, I get to heaven and he says, that was not important. I can look at God and honestly say, that's okay. I did that because I loved you. And I wanted to choose that. Not because somebody forced me to. And so that is our holiness unto God. That's the thing. It should be unto God. So I'm going to just play a little bit and we can come and just take a moment to talk to God and really to examine our hearts. Because as pastor goes into these next few weeks, I want to make sure that my spirit is wide open to anything that he might challenge and convict and God might want to change in my life. So let's just come and pray. God, help my heart and my mind to be open to your word. Lord, help my spirit to be open. If there is something in me that you want to change, show me, show me, God, challenge me and change me and help me to do it willingly.